Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amado. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, secondary schools resume today, but not without the challenges of old. The Conference of Heads of Assisted Schools, Charles, is already complaining about food shortage. Also coming up, all is not well for the NDC in the Aswasi constituency of the Ashanti region. As some party executives fight the MP, Mohamed Muntaka Mubarak. And later on Eyewitness News, government has still not issued an official statement on American rapper McMill's video from the Jubilee House. But the governing party's director of communication says the filming was done without permission. If that's the case, how did he film? Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Chamber of Telecommunications announced that implementation of the revised electronic transfer levy begins tomorrow. That's in 50 minutes uh, from the business desk of CTFM and City TV. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations in the Upper West Region. We are on Tumpani Radio 88.5 FM in Nadoli, as well as Jirapa on 96.1 FM. Uh, we are also live in the Upper East region on Rikas 92.1 FM in Bongo Namo. In the Northern region, we are on North Star Radio 92.1 FM in, in Tamale. In the Northeast region, we are on Nobia FM 98.1 FM in Nalerigu. In the Western region, on Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi. Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. If you go to the Ashanti region, we are on Focus 94.3 FM on the campus of the KNUST in Kumasi and Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. In the Volta region, we are on Sela 97.1 FM in Dabala and Holi 98.5 FM in Aflao. The show is interactive. Do join us with your messages on WhatsApp 0549-986-996, 0549-986-996. Go to Facebook, watch our live feed and drop your comments there as well. CTFM's Facebook handle is broadcasting eyewitness news for you live. This is eyewitness news broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. We are also around the globe on citynewsroom.com. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Nashika Caesar. We kick off with the conference of heads of assisted secondary schools. Senior high schools resume today. Students have been returning, especially boarding or boarders uh, for academic exercise for this particular term. But there are challenges already. Nashika, tell us more. The Conference of Assisted Secondary Schools, CHAS, says most senior high schools across Ghana are yet to receive funds from the Ghana Education Service, whilst the full complement of food items for senior high schools have delayed. Over the period, heads of many senior high schools have struggled to provide food for boarding students following the delay in disbursement of foodstuff from the National Food Buffer Stock Company. With secondary schools reopening today, the president of CHAS, Reverend Father Steve Owusu Setre, is worried academic work may be hampered following the development. 
we expect the the money the money that we need to take off of, of the students to hit our accounts. In fact, we were promised that the money, we should go to the bank this this morning at nine, and the money to hit our accounts. But uh, as you speak, we check, and the, and no school has received any money from the bank. I called the in fact the minister spoke with me, and he said they are still working on it, and we should still wait. And the students are also coming in their numbers. The food also uh, also trickling in. Uh, in bits. Um, some regions, I am told, uh, the last, at around 12 o'clock, some schools have not received uh, anything yet. I mean, concerning that is food. In concerning food. Yes, but have you money. got in touch with the buffer stock people? Oh, yes. Um, um, we have been in touch with them, and uh, what they say is that they are also supplying, but uh, picking the information from the ground, mm -hmm. uh, some food items uh, have not uh, reached the schools. Um, in my school, I have received four items only. And I have not received any money. I checked the bank and there's nothing in my account. So uh, right now, we don't know what to do. Um, mm -hmm. The students are coming. We are still waiting for the money. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we are all in a kind of effect. So we, um, I am talking to the Attorney General to, and the Minister to give us a directive as to, as to what to do. So that's okay. where we are now. And how much are we looking at in terms of the funds? No, we, we, we cannot. We cannot, we cannot say because um, mm -hmm. the, the funds, every school is given according to the population. For example, if you are giving money for perishable, they, they give it to you per your population. So I, I, right now, as I stand here speaking with you, I don't know exactly what will come to my, to my account. Uh, I'm waiting to see it, and then, uh, and, 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 and then I will be able to speak to that with my director general. Okay, so what is the plan now in regards to the funding? Supposing the monies do not touch the account, hit the account today on time. So that's why I'm saying that um, the... The um, trying to get in touch with with the with the director general, and then he will give us instructions as, as to what to do. Now that students are mm -hmm. coming, and we don't have mm -hmm. the money to feed them, mm -hmm. so um, let's wait, and I'll get in touch with him, and they will communicate to us as heads, and then they will tell us what to do. Okay. Right. Because um, that's one is not in my power to instruct head headmasters, headmistresses that oh do this. It's only the director and the minister who's supposed mm. to tell us what to do. So we wait on them to tell us what to do if and only if there's, we don't have the money and the food. Okay. Yeah. Now, some regions, I, I speak according to regions. I cannot speak for the schools. Okay, so I speak which regions the regions. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, um, in Ashanti regions, for example, I have received uh, beans, um, maize, rice, uh, no, beans, maize, um, gari, and then tomato paste. That's what I have received. Okay. For now, the rest have not received anything. I have not received sugar. I have not received oil. Have they and given you time, a duration where? No, what have been told by the um, by the minister and the pastor is that they f they are they are on their way doing the distribution. So they have not got into so many schools. So we are still waiting. That was the president of the Conference of Assisted Secondary Schools, CHAS, Reverend Father Steve Owusu Setri. Let's hear more on other issues affecting senior high schools. The think tank known as Africa Education Watch says textbooks have not been released to basic and senior high schools, and this is affecting activities, academic activities on campus. Let's speak to Kofi Asari, he's executive director of the Africa Education Watch. Uh, Mr. Sario, welcome to Eyewitness News. Hello. Good, good afternoon and good afternoon to your choice audience. Good evening. Before I ask you to comment on the textbook issue, what's your comment on the food issue? Because 
school resumed today and the head teachers are saying there are already problems. Well, it's, it's not new. It's always suspected. Uh, it's a funding issue, as we've always indicated. Um, the last time I checked, government is still owing suppliers about 200 million, even though government has done, um, you know, tremendously well to reduce the debt from over 400 to 200. But um, in some, there is a financing issue. And so far, the financing issue is not solved. We will continue to experience delay in the supply of foodstuffs to schools. So it's a money issue. It's not a lack of foodstuffs issue. It's a financial issue. If you have the cash, you get the money. It's a financing issue. And um, if you look at budget execution, by the time the budget was being read, only 60% of funds meant for free senior high school had been disbursed. And if you look at the history of disbursement of the Ministry of Finance in the past four years, it is only in 2017 that the entire goods and services budget line of the Ministry of Education under which free senior high school is funded was released. We've been doing a budget execution of about between 50 and 65% since 2018. And in 2022, when the budget was being read, I mean, I'm talking about as of, as of November or so, we were barely at 60% budget execution under the um, goods and services budget of the Ministry of Education, which is the budget that funds free senior high school and other interventions in basic education. So, so far as we are having challenges with releasing approved funds and we are having challenges by execution. I'm sorry, um, what, what we are experiencing will continue to be a symptom. It will persist until we are able to release approved funds to run all government programs in the education sector, including uh, feeding students under the free senior high school program. Considering that some of the schools do get IGF, do you think it will make sense to say schools should pre-finance these things so that the central government releases the funds later? Well, I'm not aware of any any formal arrangement, any framework for collection of IGF in schools. I am aware that second education is free, and so parents are not supposed to pay any money as a matter of obligation. Um, and so if other schools have various ways of getting IGF, that obviously is through voluntary means and suggests that even though that IGF may be available to a school like Presec or a Category A school, same may not be available to for Francis secondary school, and so cannot be used as a basis to intervene, you know, in a resource deficit situation. Okay, now let's move on to the other issues that you have raised. That has to do with textbooks uh, in the schools. What have you found? Let me first indicate that we haven't raised any issue about textbooks in senior high schools. The issue is about textbooks in basic schools. Recall that uh, about six months ago, the Minister of Education went to Parliament. About nine months ago, the Minister of Education went to Parliament and assured Ghanaians that by September of 2022, basic schools were going to receive textbooks. Um, we, we have been monitoring the distribution of textbooks since September. And at the end of the term, which was at the end of December, we, we, we didn't find textbooks in all the subjects. As we speak, in all the schools we monitored, you know, in the northern region, and you know, T and even in Greater Accra in the south and the uh, west, there are limited amounts of textbooks in math, English, um, math, English, and then science. These are the only three subjects that have received textbooks. 
out of about um, 11 subjects in basic schools. So we are concerned that we have entered year four since the new curriculum um, was rolled out. And we still have less than 30% of the textbooks required in our school. Um, let, no, I, I think the three textbooks are math, English, and creative arts that we found in the schools we visited, you know, in the OT and in the northern region and in, in parts of Itakra. And we are worried. Even in schools that textbooks were available, the highest ratio was about um, one is to three, meaning in a class of 120 in a school in uh, Amasaman, Papasi area, I mean, uh, Amasaman, you find that there are 40, 40 books to be shared by 120 students. And so um, that's the ratio, this one. But the ratio that the Ministry of Education and Genius has sanctioned for textbooks is one is to one. And so we are doing less than 30% of textbooks required in the schools visited. There are one or two schools in OT that did not have a single textbook in the curriculum. That's why we have called on the Ministry of Education and Genius to ensure that government finds money to procure textbooks for the schools because we are informed that the issue is a financing issue. It is not that the textbooks are available in all the subjects, in all the quantities that are in Accra or in the regions and are not hitting the schools, but it is simply the fact that there is a financing um, challenge. In the case where there are no textbooks at all, so you've said that at least three subjects, the, the textbooks are available. In the case that there aren't textbooks for other courses, um, how are they teaching the students? Is it the case that the teacher would have one single textbook that he uses for the whole school? Is that how it's working? In that case, they normally um, use the, the curriculum, the teacher's guide. No, there is a teacher's guide alone to teach. Um, similar to what they have been doing in the past three years, which we all um, called ineffective, um, necessitating the ministry's intervention when bringing the textbooks. Um, the issue of textbooks is, is an issue that I believe um, lies at the core of government's political commitment towards education. Because we know textbooks are expensive, which is true, but we also know that it takes clear commitment you know, to, to finance education at that level, to put in that cash and procure textbooks. What we are discussing is not a matter of textbooks not being available, no. NACA has already approved textbooks in all subjects in basic schools. So uh, there are textbooks available for all the 11 or so subjects in, in basic schools. The issue is that government is not making money available to procure all textbooks for the close to 5 million children in primary schools and kindergartens, and that is the problem. It is not about textbooks not being available. There are textbooks available on the market. Private schools are up there and are using them, and public basic schools are not having access to them because government has no money to buy all the textbooks, and government has only supplied a few, less than 30% of what is required to facilitate teaching and learning in these schools. If we don't provide textbooks in the right quantities and in all subjects, irrespective of the beauty and the quality of the standard-based curriculum, the learning outcomes will continue to suffer. Would it be too much to ask parents to pay for these books, uh, since there appears to be a difficulty with government making that payment? We see parents as playing a key role in supporting government to finance basic education in the medium term. In our end-of-year review of the sector we have with partners, we realize that reviewing the budget 
not only in the 2023 budget, but in the medium term, the IMF medium term, um, the allocations made to support basic education, I mean, to support the implementation of basic education, is so small that if parents do not contribute towards financing basic education, the system will collapse. Let me give you an example. The amount of money government has made available in the goods and services budget of the Ministry of Education this year to finance capitation grants is not even enough to pay for one terms capitation grant, let alone three terms. Bearing in mind that the capitation grant is even in arrears spanning over an academic year. So if you look at the allocation to free basic education within the goods and services budget line, basic education allocation has declined by 40%. It is only secondary education that increased by about about 30, 30%. A basic education declined by 40%. Special and inclusive education also declined by about 38%. So we are seeing the significant cuts, huge cuts, you know, in the budget for free basic education. And immediately those cuts are made. It means that funds for buying teaching and learning resources are being reduced. Now, there are two things we can do. We will continue to advocate that government finds money elsewhere and then, you know, uh, augment for the deficit. But at the same time, experience has shown that in the past two to three years, our advocacy to get government to commit more and more to basic education hasn't yielded too much resource. And so it is not advisable for parents to fold their arms and watch government, you know, um, commit more funding when, in reality, the budget has actually cut funding to basic education. It has gone through appropriation, and the reality is that we have 40% less than what we had last year. And so parents will definitely have to support um, basic schools. And we have asked the Ghana Education Service to develop a framework within which parents can provide support to basic schools so that school heads will be accountable to whatever funding they receive from parents. And so far as the, the framework for parental contribution, what we call inclusive education resource um, governance, should not be exclusive. What I mean by it shouldn't be exclusive is that Kofi Asari shouldn't be denied an opportunity to attend school freely because his parents couldn't pay. We must have a framework, a voluntary framework like that, so that headmasters will not just collect money or contributions from teachers, as it happens in many schools anyway, but then Citizens, including CSOs and government, will have the basis to, you know, to demand accountability on how such funds are used, and then also act in a manner that we avoid duplication, so that government does not release the little money they have to, if if, if, if you like, finance end of term examination when parents have already contributed ten years already. Where the where does the money go? Within what context are we demanding accountability or ensuring that? We are not duplicitous in using scarce resources, whether they are coming from citizens or government. So that framework is important. Government cannot fund free basic education, given the budget that we are seeing, and so parents will have support. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Eh? You're welcome. That's Kofi Asari, he's executive director of the Africa Education Watch. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra, around the globe on citynewsroom.com. We'll be back with more. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. 
there's something special happening at Heritage Christian College. Their bustling campus is right in the heart of Amasaman, just behind the Olympic Stadium. And it will amaze you what they are doing there. Heritage Christian College is churning out academic excellence with their comprehensive range of degrees, including Bachelor of Business Administration programs, IT, and Theology. Don't forget to ask about their professional programs and short courses, What Makes Heritage Special. Heritage Christian College takes the academic experience further than ever with one laptop per student, flexible fee payment, entrepreneurial training with financial support, all delivered by a caring faculty working to develop your character and your intellect. Admissions are in progress, so call today on 054-777-731 and get accepted. For more information, go to hcuc.edu.gh. Heritage Christian College, a university educating compassionate entrepreneurial leaders. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's now do some other stories. A meeting between organized labor and government over demand for a 60% increment in base pay on the single-spine salary structure has ended inconclusively for the sixth time. This is as a result of the failure of both parties to reach a consensus on the proposed percentage. Organized labor explains that the demand for a 60% increase is due to harsh economic conditions. Deputy Minister of Employment and Labour Relations, Bright Rukububi, addressed the media after the meeting. Uh, in fact, since the beginning of the year, this has been our first meeting. And so we recapped what we had been doing. And uh, we have both decided to come tomorrow to conclude on our negotiations. So tomorrow, God willing, uh, we will share any information Anywhere we have reached, we will let you know. So nothing was stabled? But what's been no, the difficulty? No, How come no. they were able to um, agree on a percentage? This is the seventh no, time we are having this it's, it's negotiations. So today being the first day of the year that we are meeting, we recapped and then we have agreed that tomorrow we will meet and then take firm decisions. Currently, 15% cost of living was supposed to have ended last year, December. Is government still going to pay that? Well, if we have not concluded with the negotiations, what 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 pertains now will continue. That's but what we were supposed to end in December last December year. Cost of but the circumstances have not been normal. And like I'm saying, we are working very fast. Tomorrow, God will we'll share any other information. That Bright Wokububi is the Deputy Minister of Employment and Labor Relations. Now, government says its first consignment of fuel for gold for oil deal is expected to arrive in the country by next week. Deputy Lands and Natural Resources Minister George Mukus Duke has tells City News all necessary arrangements have been put in place. The vice president last year announced that Ghana will begin trading its gold for oil to reduce pressure on the forex. George Mukuduka says all must support the move. Yes, we've put all the uh, lines together. Um, even today, we're meeting on it, and we believe uh, we're much ready to kickstart it. And uh, it's a good call for the nation, and it's also to cushion 
the, the, the importance of, of our currency. And I think uh, all hands uh, must be on deck in our September's. And I, I believe it also go a long way in regulating the downstream part of mining. We thinking of next week if if I'm not exaggerating. By next week. What, what, what volumes? Um that is yet to be determined okay. and, and that will come out of our meeting today. The the, the, the aircraft is to come out. Can you cross someone? Can you? The aircraft. Yes. That was the Deputy Lands and Natural Resources Minister, George Mukuduka. Away from that, the Member of Parliament for the North Tong constituency, Samuel Okujetua Blakwa, has expressed doubt about the government's ability to secure debt forgiveness from its creditors. He believes the government's decision to continue with some projects considered non-essential, such as the cathedral, would thwart any attempt to debt at debt forgiveness. The government suspended payment on most of its external debts in December last year as it tried to plug its balance of payment deficits. According to the finance ministry, it will not service debts including its euro bonds, commercial loans and most bilateral loans as part of an interim emergency measure. Reacting to the government leaning towards debt forgiveness request, the ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee of Parliament holds the view that the move will not succeed unless the president implements some stringent measures. We shall all be ashamed. Mm. A country that had debt forgiveness not too long ago under President Kufuor, HIPIC, we declared highly indebted poor country status and got debt forgiveness, and even got HIPIC benefits in the process. Less than 20 years, see where we are. Aren't we ashamed, behaving like some spoiled children you inherit from your father who's left so much for you see the natural resources we have how many countries are blessed like we have oil timber cocoa gold what don't we have and we got debt forgiveness on top not too long ago we are back to the paris group and 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 we are we are not ashamed and if they had not even been exposed they will have been landing with these chartered luxury jets begging for debt forgiveness Remember that's the first time I caught him. He had gone to France to ask for debt forgiveness, and he went there with a chartered jet. And this is a country. You are begging for debt forgiveness, and yet you tell Ghanaians in the face and the international community that vanity projects like the National Cathedral, you won't stop it. If the president does not change his conduct, his pronouncements, his attitude, I doubt that he'll get any debt forgiveness. If this appeal will work, they don't want to hear things like, we are going to continue with the National Cathedral, we, we will not reduce the size of government, all my ministers are performing excellently, and all of, all of those statements mm, and conduct are really inimical to any serious effort at, at debt forgiveness. The MP has been relentless in his bid to ensure accountability on the construction of a national cathedral and he told City News that he estimated the project to cost over 1 billion Ghana cities and not the budgeted $4 million. The latest revelation I made, 28.2 million Ghana cities, 
has been paid to one Carrie Summers, who is an American. We have a consultant for the United States. What is the correlation? Uh, cathedral. Did Jesus Christ pass through uh, the United States? Because of this consultant for the United States, we just hand over 28.2 million. Can you believe that? Then they issue a statement. And the statement is even worse. They say that, oh, Okuja Tua Blackwa is misleading the public. Carrie Summers is not responsible for fundraising, but he was paid the money for coordination, to coordinate the Bible Museum and the Biblical Gardens. Jesus Christ. Holy Moses. I shall not mention the name of the Lord in vain. But this one is not in vain. It's 28.2 million. The Lord will understand. Hey, are we that wealthy? We don't know what to do with our money. Are we under some curse? Taxes, which are being misused. 339 million cities cash withdrawn from the consolidated fund. But that is not all. My estimation is that billions, because the cost of demolitions have not been added. The cost of compensation has not been added. And all of these contract escalations, the tax waivers. So what's going on here? You have the NP for North Tong constituency, Samuel Okujetu Ablakwa. Now the concerned staff of the Controller and Accountant General's Department and all 16 regional chapters have today petitioned its leadership and the Ministry of Finance over non-payment of honorarium. The staff indicated that they have denied their 2021 and 2022 honorarium for the first time and are therefore seven notice to the authorities in a letter cited by city news and presented to the ministry through the regional directors the workers revealed that they will resort to series of actions if denied the payment here are excerpts of the statement read by city news's akusio having been denied our 2021 honorarium for the first time in the history of controller and accountant general's department we the concerned staff wish to unequivocally state that any attempts by the management and the ministry of finance to once again deny our hard-working staff of this age-old solace would not be tolerated. Staff would be left with no option than to embark on series of legitimate actions, including abstaining from the upcoming national accounts validation exercise and also the government of Ghana monthly salary validations to get this allowance paid us. We are by this petition serving notice to the management and also the ministry of finance to us a matter of agency gets the matter addressed or we advise ourselves all staff of the 16 regions of ghana are on this date presenting this letter to our management and the ministry of finance through the regional directors calling on the controller and accountants general's department and the ministry of finance to do the needful by paying the two years 2021 and 2022 honorarium with immediate effect to avoid the repercussions of our intended actions those were excerpts of a statement released by staff of the controller and accountant general's department in all 16 regions of ghana this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's talk about the mining sector now. And former President John Romani Mahama has taken a swipe at his successor, Nana Rodankwa Kufado, over his recent defense of the Akunta Mining, a company owned by Ashanti Regional Chairman of the NPP, Bernadine Tribosiaku, popularly known as Chairman Wuntimi. The president absorbed 
absolved Akunta Mining from, of any wrongdoing, stating that the company was not engaged in illegal mining anywhere in the country currently. But former President Mahama, in a statement on his Facebook page, said the conduct of the president of absolving his appointees from blame even before the conclusion of investigation was unacceptable. That pension by the president to absolve his appointees and other close associates of any wrongdoing as he has done with the ongoing investigations into the operations of a quantum mining company is a serious dent on the already deteriorating image of the office of the president. As though proud of the dishonorable badge, the clearing agent Nana Adutankwe Kufado has yet again justified the appropriateness of his nickname with the seeming presidential exoneration of Akonta Mining, a company owned by a member of his political party NPP and accused of illegal gold mining in the country's forest reserves. The shocking impudence is how and when he even did that at a public event called the country's Catholic clergy. Fortunately and unfortunately, we are told by the owner of Akonta Mining that the minister has explained to him they were forced to unwillingly act against his company because of public pressure from the National Democratic Congress, DNDC, CSOs and NGOs. He also very alarmingly said the president called him ostensibly to appease him over government's action and that the office of the special prosecutor cannot touch him. This is a sad commentary for a country that has in the past been held up in Africa as the poster boy for rule of law and democratic governance. That is Kwekwe Duyamansa of the City Newsroom reading excerpts of a statement issued by former President John Mahama and posted on his Facebook platform. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. There's more ahead. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Umaru Sandam here with Nashi Kasiza. Let's go to the Ashanti region constituency of Aswansi. We're told that the NDC constituency executives, at least some of them, are not very happy with the member of parliament who is minority whip, the Honorable Mohammed Muntaka Mubarak, and this is leading to some uh, disagreements there. Hafiz Tijani is our correspondent in the Ashanti region and he's joining us now. Hafiz, please take it away and tell us what you know. So prior to the elections of the constituency executives in the Asansi constituency last year, uh, the member of parliament, Al-Haji Mutaka Mubarak, made an appeal to the constituency executives not to contest the incumbent uh, executives because the constituency is surrounded by what he called hostile constituencies, uh, meaning stronghold constituencies of the New Patriotic Party, their main opponents in politics. So that is the Oforikum constituency, the Kwabri East constituency, the Ejisu constituency, the Mensha South constituency, the Mensha North constituency, and uh, the uh, um, Oforikum constituency. So he said that he was making the appeal so that if the current incumbent executives or the incumbent executives then uh, had gone unopposed, they could 
uh, wind power in 2024 so that anyone who wants to contest in the next primaries can do so. Uh, but that did not go down well with some uh, members of the party who also had intentions to contest in those elections for the various positions. So uh, it's, uh, the division started from there, and the member of parliament uh, still held to his appeal, but most of them did not listen to him and went ahead to contest. Uh, we spoke to him uh, that day on the elections in October last year uh, when he made some of the comments and uh, backing his uh, suggestions uh, with some some of the comments he thought that uh, could could uh, convince the uh, party members not to contest. When you have a constituency like Aswasi, where there's a lot of hostility, there's a lot of difficulty. If all you do is to just open it up for contest, 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 you destroy the, the constituency. I'm only praying that we should overcome whatever challenges that we are, we are having. But believe me, believe me, it's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. Because, I mean, when you advise and people don't listen. And I ask, okay, I advise you don't listen. Now, whether you go or you win, you win, you win or you lose. Can you come and say you are going to advise me as an MP? No. I can say that. And you see, what I keep saying is that even somebody is a trotter mate, and he does a trotter mate for 18 years, don't just assume that person hasn't gathered any experience. Having been in this for over almost two decades, you cannot assume that I don't have any experience. So what I say, means because I can bet you didn't hear any chaos because all the branches in Aswansi, 206, decided to take my advice. And there was no contest. They sat among themselves, so so and so is dead. What do we do? Then the branch, they bring their heads together and settle on one person. So I asked them to do the same at the constituency because we are in a very hostile environment. If we're in the Volta region, or when we're in the Northern region or Upper East, where at least the party is strong. Now, I mean, Mensha South, Mensha North, Edusu, Kabiri East, Subi, Oforukrom. These are consequences that are very hostile to us. And we are in the Lions then. Why should we fight among ourselves? My hope and prayer that we'll overcome these challenges and be able to forge ahead as a group that will overcome their challenges. But I can tell you, Obviously, it says at us that we have a challenge ahead of us. So, uh, Hafiz, that's uh, the Member of Parliament, uh, Honorable Muntaka Mubarak. Um, so, this is what started the problem, or this was when the problem was, uh, you know, e expanding? So, this was, uh, was what started the problem in terms of the understanding some of the members of the party in the constituency had when the member of parliament put out this suggestion. Uh, they were saying that he was trying to uh, infringe upon the rights of some people who were trying to also contest the incumbents and that he had favorites among the incumbents, but he denied that he had favorites. He said that he was the father of the party and he had no interest, but his interest was uh, that they should allow the incumbents to go so that the next primaries they can contest because of the uh, way uh, and manner the party was trying to uh, uh, maybe attain victory in the 2024 general elections. That was his uh, suggestion. So the party members also thought that he was trying to gag some people and he was trying to prevent some people from contesting. And so 
uh, after the elections, when things did not go well for the MP, when he was suggesting that the incumbent should be retained, uh, new executives took over, like the chairman position, the communications officer, uh, the women organizer. Uh, all of them were changed, and new entrants were in. They came and then took over the reins of the party. And uh, since then, the youth have been laying claims against the MP that he is uh, working with the former or previous executives uh, at the expense of the current executives according to the party structure. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much, Hafiz Tijani. Let me hear now from the... Hafiz Tijani is our correspondent in the Ashanti region. Let's hear from a uh, spokesperson of the NDC Youth in Daswasi constituency, Umar Harris. He's joining us on the line. Um, Umar, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Okay, so your difficulty is that your MP is um, not the right person to be your representative. Is that the position? No, not really. That is not what we are trying to put across. We've, in fact, he's been a member of parliament for, for, for a long time, so we cannot just um, out of the blue say um, he's actually not fit to lead the party. But um, there are other reasons, there are other concerns that we are seeking redress to, so that at least we can make the party more attractive and for the youth, so that uh, our agenda to see His Excellency John Dramani Mahama clinch the victory come 2024 is possible. But we believe that when things are not actually ironed out well, we, the achievement of that goal might be a little bit troubled. And that's basically the reason why we air our frustration, so that uh, the leadership of, of the party would come and salvage the situation before it gets out of hand. So what has he specifically done that you have difficulties with then? Uh, in, a, um, in the first place, I, I think um, I listened to the audio you played. Uh, we believe that as a member of parliament, you're supposed to be a father for all for our inner constituency. And therefore, uh, the proper principles of democracy require that, I mean, everybody is given a fair opportunity to contest in any election or whatsoever. The assertion of uh, when, you open the, when you open the gate for everybody to contest would stop uh, misunderstanding or internal wrangling. It's not an excuse. That is what democracy is all about. So if you decide that you are not going to allow that to happen, it brings much more bigger problems than a problem you are trying to escape. So I think, yes, during the I mean, constituency election, he came openly campaigned against um, certain candidates, some candidates who he says they are not his favorite, openly meeting delegates. And then he even said it that um, if they I mean, vote in some of these guys, he's going to resign from being a member of parliament. He said that facing the media, he said that on the day of the constituency election... And did these, guys, did these guys win, these persons? He, he, yeah, he the chairman, he, he so opposed, he won. Convincingly, the woman organizer, he opposed, won. And the constituency communication officer, he won. And these are the key positions he wasn't ready to, I mean, uh, negotiate. And they won. You came openly and then threatened the people that if they vote them, you are going to resign. You didn't resign. You make the administration very ungovernable. And that's exactly what we are going through right now. Because the man is not actually ready to work with them. And he's proving it by his actions. Because, um, I don't know. Can you imagine an MP coming into the constituency where there is an elected chairman and he's still working with the outgoing chairman? It's, it's quite un unfortunate. And... He has succeeded actually in I mean, dividing the constituency into two because some of the executives uh, believe that he is doing the right thing. Those who don't actually like the 
idea of the contest who were contested. And then for God being so good, they were had the opportunity. Some also were able to, I mean, sneak their way through by going on opposed because nobody actually contested them. Uh, he's divided the constituency and he's, I mean, his posturing right now and his public alterances is not actually helping matters. So we think that if we allow such things to continue, where we have two factions in a constituency, you know, even find it very difficult to build a consensus as of now, because at least by now, after election, the chairman should be able to set a system. For the constitution, he needs to do certain appointments from his, I mean, government, and then begin to work. Now, the MP has his own um, um, sect. He also has it. So even building consensus, even in constituency meetings, it's, it's difficult, because others are doing the bidding of the member of parliament, not what is even in the interest of the good people of Aswati. So we believe that if some, if nothing is being done about that, it's going to be a problem. And I don't see any reason why a member of parliament should determine to the constituents who they want to lead them. Just as we didn't consult, nobody told us to land on him. He can also determine who we want to lead us. That, so is, that is not fair. The elections are over. There, there's a new crop of executives. You say that some of them are not in his camp, but you also have a difficulty with his relationship with the former chairman. What do you yeah. think, as a member of parliament, he can do? Or what do you want him to do? Well, I think um, after the elections, the, um, the chairman who lost made certain oriented commentaries on various um, media houses, tagging the chairman who won, Faisal Dauda, as being financed by the MPP. And therefore, he reiterated that the MP cannot work with such a person. And the MP will continue to work with him. And he is still working in his capacity as the chairman. He made that comment. And the MP never came out to debunk that statement. He never came out to debunk that statement. We know and the MP has a tradition where wherever he goes, when he's in a constituency, he moves with at least his, his chairman, is rest assured, an organizer, and any other executive. Since they started, there has never been any occasion where they, we've seen a movement between the chairman and the MP. There has never been anything like that. When the people begin to call for that unity, the chairman called for a reconciliation meeting where the MP was part of it. Pictures flared out and then people thought it was all right. And yet the chairman and MP began to, I mean, undertake certain projects. During the Christmas, he had a program for the Christian co-course. He didn't, I mean, factor the, um, I mean, constituency chairman in the planning. He did um, spectacles distribution. He didn't consider the chairman. He came out, we spoke. And yet still, what is happening currently is, you know, we have, NBC has a constitution. And in a constitution, it has stated in Article 47 that when a member of the party has a problem, issue with any executive, you need to seek redress through the party structure. If it is constituency, then you petition the regional. If it goes beyond the regional, it goes to national. But all these things were breached, and then they quickly took the chairman to court over an illegitimate appointment of one co five co-opted members to be part of the uh, constituency executive committee. They took him to court. The MP did not utter a word. He didn't come out to even condemn that thing. It's like, again, they took the, they, 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 they called for the arrest of the chairman in a public domain. And all, all these things, an MP is not saying anything. We want to see commitment from the MP by coming out to call the wrongs wrong. But we are not seeing all that. He's been quiet. Mm. He goes about doing his own campaign. Doesn't talk about the bad things and the unfortunate things that is happening in the constituency. And it's a problem. Okay. Please be on the line. I want to speak to Abdul Haq. He's secretary to uh, the member of parliament. Uh, Mr. Haq, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The accusation is that 
uh, your boss did not support some executives which executives won and he is not working with them so there is a two faction or the ndc has two factions in aswasi now the muntaka faction and the chairman's faction um what do you know about this and what can you say um first of all i'd like to say a very good evening to your cherished listeners who are currently listening to your side um, all the allegations put out by my colleagues are nothing to write to him about. They are completely false, and there is no evidence to support what he's saying. What is currently happening in the constituency is an issue um, which I think, you know, some people are trying to be insubordinate. You understand? Um, after the reconciliation which took place in our constituency, the Honorable Member of Parliament, you know, availed himself, he moved from his office and went to the constituency office meet each and every, the former executives and the current executives, where pictures are all over the social media. So what he's talking about, I don't see the head and tail of what he's talking about. He organized an event uh, during, during Christmas, as a member of parliament, without inviting the chairman. That's one of the accusations, correct? That is one of the palpable falsehoods. I can put you on record. There is a picture where there is a video circulating on social media where even the chairman himself spoke and even what put the good out of the member of parliament. You get it? Now, the organization of the program, you know, if you take our constitution, when it comes to issue concerning organizing the program, there is a portfolio in which the person who is in charge, organize, that is the constitution organizer. Alajanyas is our constitution organizer. He was the person who organized with the organization team. You know, just recently, our party issued a directive that all appointees should be maintained. And he worked with what? With the organization committee. The chairman was present, each and everybody was present. So, what is he talking about? Let me ask him, uh, Mr. Harris, what are you talking about? Uh, we all know that Aswazi is a very traditional constituency. <laughs> I heard him loud and clear. You know, it has always been the tradition of Aswazi constituency. Nothing goes on without the involvement of the chairman, and um, my colleague can attest to that fact. So, if a chairman who has been elected by the constituent, is in a constituency, and you invite him to a program as a guest without knowing it. And even do you know what happened before he was invited? He was just invited to come and participate in a program he knew nothing about. How, what is the planning, how it came about, nothing. So he decided that he was not going to attend the program. And we were like, no, it shouldn't be that way because we are all forging for this reconciliation to work. The fact that you were not consulted, your input was not even welcomed. Let's try in as much as possible to organize a meeting with the MP and question him over the reason why he's doing things without involving the chairman. But the chairman was event was eventually invited, wasn't he? I'm coming. I'm coming. He had a meeting with them and the chairman asked him why he's doing that. I can tell you on authority that the MP acknowledged that, yes, all those things were wrong. And he apologized and then they should let everything sink. That is because they wanted the chairman to be present. Because without the presence of the chairman, it's going to look like, yes, what people are saying that there is a problem in the constituency is actually true. So we ask the chairman, since he has acknowledged that he's made a mistake and he's not going to repeat it, we have to attend the program. That is the basic reason why the chairman attended the program. So, the so, so you insist that there's no peace between the chairman and the MP? Whoever tells you there is a peace. You see, we shouldn't be lying to ourselves. Ab Abduhak, let me go on the other hand. Abduhak, is there peace between your boss and the chairman? Come again, please. I is there peace between your boss, uh, the member of parliament, and the chairman? There is absolutely no case as, 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 as we speak with you. I mean, is there peace between them? 
Exactly. There is a peaceful coexistence between the co-MP and his constituency chairman. When was the last time they met and shook hands? Oh, I think at the program, you know, where the Christians amount are delegates of uh, branch executives organized, you know, their party. The chairman and the MP met. They loved this book. And then what? All the things that they said was totally to, you know, to, to, to achieve one purpose. And that is what? To make sure that there is peace in the constituency. I see. So for you, there is no problem. This group led by Omar Harris that says there is no peace and this is going to affect the, the, the constituency and the NDC. What are you going to say to them? That's absolutely, as I indicated, it's totally false. As we speak with you, our transit constituency is very peaceful as far as the party is concerned. You get it? No problem. That's your um, position. I want you to speak to your colleague directly. He says there's no peace between the two and that would cost you the constituency. What would you say to him? He's hearing you. Speak directly to him and other people like, think like him. I, 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 I will repeat it again. As I speak with you, the constituency is very, very stable. Only the, just, just this Sunday, the constituency chairman and the member of parliament were all together at the full now of one of our respected you know, members who passed away, I think, on Friday. So the issue he's saying has, I don't, I don't simply understand, he seems to be giving what a wrong information. Maybe he might be talking for a different constituency, but not a slotted constituency. Very well. Thank you so much. That's Abdul Haq. He's secretary to the Honorable Member of Parliament for Aswazi, Mohammed Muntaka Mubarak. Uh, Mr. Harris, you've heard him. Conclude for us. All right. For me, what I would say is um, when your father is dead and you try hard to say he's asleep, that is your own case. For me, I believe that sometimes marketing your, uh, in your, your, your sickness is a way of finding a lasting solution. If he thinks that when he knows deep at heart as a young guy that there is a problem and he's pretending that there's no problem, that is his problem. But I believe that as young people, we can try to bring a different narrative where we can be doing our politics with total honesty. But I know, I can say on authority, city is a big, I mean, media house. You can do your own investigation and you will attest to the fact to what I'm saying. You have some of the audios already. Mm. So that is what I'll tell him. Very well. Because we believe we want to win power. So if he thinks that what the way the constituency is run as an now is okay for him, and that is his problem. But some of us are actually poised to see that we've won power and we all can get jobs too. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Umar Harris. He speaks for Consent NDC Youth. In Aswazi, earlier you heard Abdul Haq. He speaks for the Member of Parliament, the Honorable Muntaka Mubarak. This is News on 97.3 CTFM. Business News is next. And then there'll be point blank. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by First National Bank and powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details. 
The Chamber of Telecommunications has indicated that the implementation of the revised electronic transfer levy will begin on Wednesday, January 11, 2023. Government, during the presentation of the 2023 budget, announced a reduction of the e-levy rate from 1.5% to 1% and wanted to remove the daily non-taxable threshold of 100 Ghana cities. Parliament on December 21, 2022, approved an amendment to the levy. Speaking to City Business News, the executive officer of the Chamber of Telecommunications, Ken Ashibe, said the, impl- the implementation of the new rate begin tomorrow. The Commissioner General has issued a directive for the effective date of implementation to be Wednesday, the 11th of uh, January. So from the 11th of January, uh, if you send any mobile money to anybody else, uh, the 100 CDs um, daily uh, exemptions would still apply, uh, but now you would be charged 1% instead of the 1.5%. So if you send, let's let's say 200 CDs, you would get an exemption of the 100 CDs, then you would pay one CD for that, uh, uh, extra 100 CDs you have sent. Beginning tomorrow, are we going to see charges for payments so, less than 100 CDs? No, so it's the same thing. So uh, initially there was a proposal to take uh, to look at those limits, but uh, when the, the bill was passed into law, those limits were still retained. So if you send less than 100 CDs, uh, or you send up to 100 CDs, uh, there's no e-levy charged on that. He had the executive officer of the Chamber of Telecommunications, Ken Ashibe. Moving on, a leading financial services group, First National Bank, is collaborating with its international payment partners to resolve transactional differentials on some accounts. About a week ago, First National Bank embarked on an exercise to resolve and reconcile debit card transactions carried out in December 2022 and early January 2023. This exercise required some exchange rate adjustments to customer balances with subsequent debits for transactions done on Binance.com, a cryptocurrency exchange. This, however, resulted in foreign exchange adjustment and the effect on account balances of some customers. In a statement issued by the bank, Head of Marketing and Corporate Affairs, Delali Jitsieno, noted that the firm is working to resolve the issues as they are in talks with their payments getaway partners to address these concerns. Now, a ranking member on the Parliamentary Select Committee on Trade and Industry and Member of Parliament for Elembele, Emmanuel Amakofibwa, has described the President's appointment of Ken Ofuriata as the Acting Trade and Industry Minister as a slap in the face of the Ghanaian business community and does not exude confidence among businesses. Mr. Amakofibwa said the poor performance of the finance minister, which is the reason for the difficulties Ghanaians are facing, coupled with the numerous hostile taxes he has brought on the business community, makes him a wrong choice to act as trades minister, hence called on the president to immediately reconsider that decision to bring some confidence to the business community.
Well, the uh, acting appointment of the finance minister uh, to the Ministry of Trade and Industry, quite frankly, was a surprise to a lot of people, including myself. Because, number one, uh, I think for Ghanaian businesses, it's a slap in the face, all of them. Now, let, let's uh, just go back. This is the finance minister that over 100 MPP members of parliament had called for his resignation. Uh, they, were, they were disarmed based on the fact that he... He should be allowed to continue negotiation with the IMF. He is a finance minister who just survived an essential motion. Uh, this is a finance minister that, quite frankly, has witnessed, I mean, led us into the economic mess we are in. Uh, we still cannot find our way starting this new year. We don't even know where we are with the IMF uh, negotiation. Um, the trade and industry ministry is a very critical one. We already know the challenges that businesses are going through. We know the huge challenges with the inflation rate, uh, with the forest challenges and a whole lot of issues. But specifically with this finance minister, this is the finance minister that has flip-flopped on the issue of benchmark value. That was the ranking member on the Parliamentary Select Committee on Trade and Industry, Emmanuel Amakufibwa. Now, the Consent Farmers Association of Ghana have lauded the efforts of the Minister of Food and Agriculture, Dr. Ifuya Kutu, for his contribution towards developing the agricultural sector. Reports say the Minister, Dr. Ifuya Kutu, will tender in his resignation letter to the President today. His decision comes after Trade Ministry Minister Alan Chematin resigned from his position to focus on his presidential ambitions. Speaking to City Business News, the president of the Concerned Farmers Association of Ghana, Nana Obwadia Boatin Bunsu, said Dr. Ifriakutu has served farmers well. Dr. Ifriakutu has faced Utah. I think he's the most uh, long serving agriculture minister so far that we've had with this kind of uh, time. Planting for food and jobs act, it started. We all know the challenge of the fall annual came in, and then the, the first phase wasn't all that good, but during the latter part, it was well in the way that now it has come to stay. So with his stand, I think that he bringing out the planting for food and jobs, growing for food and jobs, he has done well. But then at the end of the day, there are lots to be done because now as I'm speaking, the poultry farmers and other people are even crying that the things as it is are not as it is, which we need to put in more effort to it. So he has paid juice as he been going and then the one coming is what we have to look at because uh, we don't have to play politics with agriculture. Nana Obwadia Boatin Bonso is the president of the Concerned Farmers Association of Ghana. Finally, tax analyst Jeffrey Okanze is projecting that government could generate about 9 billion CDs with the implementation of the withdrawal of the discount values at the port. He explains that the amount was lost at the port annually due to the application for markdown of benchmark value and other customs rulings. Jeffrey Okanze has been speaking to City Business News. So I'm saying that we can we can rely on these provisions that the minister announced plus more. Just talk about the, the removal of the benchmarks and the 30% discount on import values of general goods and then the removal of the 10% discount on home delivery value of used vehicles. Um, you know, the first, take, the, the first point to make is that we lost about $9 billion when we actually applied that uh, discount and granted it to importers. So if, if you automatically would speak to figures, then it means when you withdraw it, you are going to be expecting to recoup 
about 9 billion plus more when you put such uh, policies in place. And automatically, it would also mean that you, you would want to see whether the policy is in line with um, our, our constitution and then also international trade uh, agreement, which is perfectly in line, that the World Trade Organization's uh, own uh, rules allows for the country to apply. He also urged government to intensify tax collection from the informal sector, with particular reference to business activities that are carrying out during the night. I think we should focus on the night and dawn economy. The revenue mobilization in Africa, we've always said that, look, there are people who do their business in the evening and are dawn. For example, these women who cut goods from the hinterlands, they bring West goods worth about 50,000, 100,000 and 60,000 cities worth of plantain, cassava from from big from, from their cutting of big trucks, loads uh, of, of foodstuffs. And they do their business at dawn. You go to Domi Market, you go to Malata, all these people come at dawn and then they offload it to the small, small mini trucks. And they are done with business by 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. By which time the tax authorities have not started their work. And this economy is a thriving economy. When you pass through circle, you pass, pass through the various night markets we have. People sell phones along the Tito Lane in circle at night. And these people are doing good business. All these uh, market spaces to come with taxation and they have been left off the hook. Jeffrey Okansi is a task analyst. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, which was powered by citybusinessnews.com and sponsored by First National Bank. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. It's 21 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight on Point Blank, we'll talk about two issues. Data Bank has reopened, having closed following threats on staff after the debt exchange program. We'll be hearing more from the bank. But before then, let's talk about Mick Mill. Mick Mill is an American rapper. He came visiting, went to Afrochella, visited the presidency, said hello to the president, Nana Dudanko Kufado, and after that, went on a frolic of his own, moving from door to door, corridor to corridor, room to room, space to space, occupying the whole Jubilee house, Filming, videoing, singing, dancing, jumping. That has led to widespread condemnation and outrage from the Ghanaian population over the actions of the rapper and the fact that the videoing was done in the Jubilee House. The presidency has not spoken officially on the matter. Mick Mill has apologized. 
let's hear from the party that is in government. Richard Ahiagba is Director of Communications of the MPP. Mr. Ahiagba, welcome to Eyewitness News, the Point Blank segment. Thank you. Omar. I've seen you quoted on various platforms um, suggesting that McMill did not have permission to do what he did. Can you confirm that you said that and explain to us, please? Well, Mara, thank you and good evening to your listeners. I think uh, uh, we're speaking in context. And so when you look at the video um, and all the production that went with it, you would, you would assume that there was a setup, there was a, uh, an elaborate effort to bring camera people, everybody moving around trying to do a production the way you know music videos are done. That is not what... Uh, happened here. There was an instance where, as you uh, discussed, uh, an individual visited and uh, in that visit um, took certain videos that he was not authorized to do and then went and placed a song on that. And I think that context in, is what we really want to emphasize and that was what I actually put out. Understanding that the individual in question himself, realizing that he stepped out of bounds, uh, he will use uh, the opportunity afforded him uh, to record those big video and then superimpose a music on it and make it appear as if there was uh, a setup at the Jubilee House for him to record his music the way it appeared, uh, the final product appeared. So that was the point we just wanted to uh, underscore because uh, I understand uh, the outrage that uh, greeted that as if the Jubilee House was opened for him to come and set up here, people moving up and down, and they were doing it. It was, uh, it was not like that. So are you suggesting uh, to us tonight that the video we saw, even though he was looking at the camera and singing and rapping, that did not happen in the Jubilee House, and that he was videoing himself and later slapped music over it to look as if he was singing and being recorded live in Jubilee? And I'm not sure why why you think that was the case. No, because you said super you said that he filmed and superimposed his song on it. So which means that when he was videoing, he was not singing or rapping like we saw. For instance, when he stood behind the podium, he was rapping and we saw him doing that, gesticulating and opening his mouth and words were coming out. Are you suggesting that he just did that in what the musicians would say miming and then later slapped I, the music on it? I think you've described it better than I could have. And so, the, the, so that's what happened. So he didn't he, he didn't sing a video to, himself Omar, in Jubilee House. Omar, no, there wasn't a production setup like you know how music. You, you should call a music uh, musician here and let them tell us how they do their music production. How they do their bring, music production? The little I know, uh, they, they, they they bring cameras, they bring lights, they yeah. and then they they play the music and then the rapper or the musician would sing along. So yeah, you're saying that this did not happen? That is not what happened. Okay. And you saw that an individual himself uh, apologized for that effort. And if it was an elaborate effort where he was granted that authority and permission to do so, um, he wouldn't have come out to apologize for it. He would just say that, yeah, well, you asked me to do it, I did it. You knew what you were signing up for. And so, therefore, there will be no basis for him to apologize. But I guess... The, the important thing, uh, Omaru, to focus on is that the individual here and the space within which uh, you saw this whole thing happen, it's a public space. I think that's the banquet hall. 
uh, of the Jubilee House where public events are held. Um, and the podium behind which he stood is what every visitor to the uh, the banquet hall to speak or to do anything uses. And their visit really uh, was in furtherance of the year of return. So it was um, it, it, it was a legitimate uh, presence they have there. And, and then their, their indiscretion is, is what is led to what we are seeing. And I, I side with Ghanaians in the outrage. But what really needs, we need to kill that outrage is the fact that the Jubilee House, per my understanding, uh, did not open the doors to say that come here and record your video, do whatever you can, and then there was a day set aside for them to come and do that. It was it was something that he did without permission, and the product has come as it's come to public notice. He's realized that he stepped out of bounds, and he's apologized and taken down the video. I think that's where we need to focus. There are other conversations we can have around it, and so, okay, well, um, is that a, a, a reform or review of Jubilee House protocols that can be looked at? Yes, that's a legitimate conversation we must have, but I think that we should move beyond uh, the appearance of saying, uh, I've heard some political commentators create this as though that the Jubilee House opened the door uh, out of total recklessness and said, okay, come and record a video. That's not the case. Mm. Uh, what happened here okay. uh, is something that was acceptable. The individual himself realizes that uh, he stepped out of bounds and has apologized and consequentially uh, taken down the video. I think that is, is a good place to start from. And we can ask other questions okay. uh, about going forward, what we do. Richard, it's, it's actually scarier hearing you say that he didn't have permission to do what he did. And yet he did all of that. I mean, if I came to the Jubilee House without permission to do a video, and I did a video not just in the in the conference room, but in the corridors of Jubilee House, in the uh, in the rooms that are not accessible to ordinary people, at the frontage no, of the no, of the huge uh, building. And Omaro. I was not alone. I was with a number of men, maybe seven oh, at least. Oh, and we Omaro. had a camera, and we didn't have permission, and we could do all of that. And I'm sure, oh. give or take, that would take at least. What, 30 minutes? You are saying there was no permission? That, that's actually scarier than if they even had permission. No, uh, they have the legitimate access to visit the Jubilee House. Uh, so all the screening that may have been done was done. And it is not factual that they were in private rooms. Where they were seated was usually a reception, waiting, uh, holding room to go to a certain meeting. And where they took the where they stood by the podium is the banquet hall, which is open to the public. So the both places are public places where anybody have going to the Jubilee House for any business. You can be held there to wait. So it's not. Richard, I've been to the Jubilee House a number of times. I have never been granted access to the front of the Jubilee House, the side facing the Christ the King Church. That gate is ceremonial. Nobody goes through there. But we saw them there singing, and they even used what looked like a drone at that place. Did so, you see Omaru, that part of the I, video? I, I, I think that if, if you want to uh, go on this tangent and try to nitpick and talk about this issue, you can, you can do that all day. But a substantial issue... No, 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 I'm not, no, Richard, I'm not uh, doing that all day. You are just saying to me no, no, that... You, are, you, so see, I, you see, we you, have to you, explain you, it you in have, context. The video is 47 seconds. I have just explained various places where the video was taken. And I'm saying that if they didn't have permission and they could do that much, I wonder what they could do if they had permission. And the question is that,
you are not allowed to enter the Jubilee House with recording devices, according to what our correspondent House Samiwi Afi has shared with us here. I mm -hmm. have been there a number of times. My phone was taken at the entrance before I was allowed to go in. If these mm -hmm. people were not supposed to film, why did they come in? In fact, McNeil himself Omaro, on his social Omaro. media, hold on a second, said that well, he had a small camera with him, which was, yeah. and he used, he said it was a young a kid, I think he said a kid, was the one holding the camera and filming. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't something that was secret after all. Okay, so for what I know, Omaro, uh, where you would go in the Jubilee House where your phones are collected from you, are designated, the banquet hall where they were, unless there is a, an event where there is a, uh, an express if, uh, you know, authorization for people not to bring their phones in the program, your phone will not be taken from you. If it's a public discussion, uh, presentation and all that, your phones will not be taken from you because you are going to the, pub, uh, the banquet hall. It's never done. It's not the case. So it is not true that your phone will be taken away from you. It is at a certain point when you are reaching a certain security place, which they didn't go to. Where they were was the public space that you can access, anybody can access, and you could have your phone with you at that point. Your phones were not taken from you if you go to the banquet hall. And the point I want to underscore here is that it will only become necessary if you are going into a certain meeting where you are required not to bring your phone, then it will be taken. But where they were operating, there isn't that requirement. There isn't any security protocol that specifies that your phone be taken away from you around that area. Okay. So what I am, I am engaged in here. I see the angle people are pushing, but the, the substantial issue we have to deal with is that, okay, going forward, should we make rule and make reforms? And that's where, Umaru, I think the conversation should be focused, because what existed before they make, uh, make went to the Jubilee House was not a situation where they were supposed to be, uh, their phones were supposed to be retrieved from them and somebody failed. That is not a situation. But they... And with and no, people assuming that oh, around here you can have your phone, and they were using their phone with an intention to create a video, and nobody actually thought that that was what they were going to do, because there was not that intention. And the place was a public space; they could have their phones. So there is nothing wrong with them having their phones, except that, which is why he had to apologize, is that he then went a step further. The liberty accorded him to be there. Any Ghanaian can go there and have your phone. And if you want that today, tomorrow, you can go there and have your phone. And Richard, then, I've, and, I've already said the that. The thing is that, no, no, wait, 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 mm -hmm. Omaru, just, it's, it's very okay, important. Go ahead. It's very important. So they went, they had their phones there. The only problem now is that they, the liberty that was given to them, they took that liberty and sought to commercialize that in a music video, exposing that, that uh, uh, space that we, we accorded them the, the opportunity to go to. Now, the significant question we have to ask is that, should we then, based on what indiscretion they have exercised, should we now now make a rule that nowhere in the uh, Jubilee House would anybody at any given time be allowed phone so that the entrance where you, are, you get clearance before you get to the main Jubilee House block, should we now begin to make the case that let's make a, uh, a review of the protocols to say that you cannot cross any line? Then we can have that conversation. I think that that's Richard, I think, I think I, we already I, have. I think we already have that rule. I mean, anyone who visits no, no, a Jubilee House knows no, that you no, don't enter there with your phone. No, 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 no. Unless you, you work there or you have special clearance, these people don't uh -huh. work there. They don't have special clearance. They are visitors. In fact, 
when the last time in fact, in fact, no hold on a second the last time we uh, went to I'm the jubilee sorry. house as journalists yeah. i yeah. was there with bernard Avle. Uh -huh. it was the meet the press to ask questions of the president Yes, we were told to you keep have the president no there. problem so we, I'm saying, hold on a second we were told I, to put I, I our phones to you, away Maru. and we yes. had to hold notepads on which we wrote our questions because very well you're good. talking about two omaru just take your time you're talking about two separate issues those individuals where they were and those recordings you didn't see president over there and at that place they had they could have their phones no. and i told you uh, omaru please please let's 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 seek to uh, inform now i agree with the outrage I agree that we should look at ways going forward that we can reform. But as you and I speak, at the time they went to the Jubilee House, there was no uh, security requirement that at that point you couldn't have your phone at the public banquet hall. There was no requirement. But you see, you mentioning banquet now, hall. But Richard, is, is it, that, that is picking and choosing. When I have just explained that the video has different segments, where the banquet hall is not the only place. Are you saying that all the places we saw them hold their phones? And again, let me even say that the man himself has said it's not a video phone. I mean, it's not a phone video, but rather a camera. Are you saying that they were allowed access in the Jubilee House with a camera? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, the difference between because a phone that I'm holding or your phone, Omaru, the phone I know you use, is more more powerful than a camera. So it's it's not it's not, it's not here nor there whether it's a phone no, or a camera. No, but it's a no, camera. No, wait, 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 mm -hmm. wait, wait, Omaru, wait. The problem here really is that. Are you looking at the big picture or you're just looking to sensationalize the situation? No, I'm looking at my, why. My, I'm no, looking no, at no, why. Wait, if, wait, if you I, came I am, to city. I am picking a situation. I'm okay. picking a situation to address. Mm -hmm. I am not interested in sensationalizing a situation. The outrage is justified. But I'm saying that that outrage having been justified, it's actually it's a condition that exists not just under this government, but all, all times when you go to that public space, Unless the president is there and what meeting you're attending or there's some private meeting where they don't want people to have their phones for purposes of taking out recordings from that place, you can have your phone. So if you go there and you're just presenting and there's just a discussion and people are presenting stuff, there isn't any need for people to be taking your phones away. So that allowed for them to have their phones there. Okay. Now with this problem... And how about the drone? If, how about, if, how about the drone? How about the drone? I'm coming. Let's let's not just be interested in. No, all no. We, we don't have a lot of time. If you, you say phones okay, are allowed so because of the meeting, the how about drones? Drones are also allowed if you're going to meet the oh, president Omaro, in the Jubilee House. Oh, Omaro, what is important is that we want to address a problem. It is not about what here, what there. The point is that we need a reform or a review of the status quo that says that at this point you can't cross here with a phone. Yeah, before you because, review, you have to admit your wrongs. No, are you admitting no. that you accepted those drones and the camera? without the necessary considerations that you should have I'm put in place? I'm saying that, I've, I've answered that question for you, Maru. I'm saying that there is no preclusion, there is no way, there is no restriction as we speak, that you cannot go to the pub, uh, banquet hall without with your phone having to be taken from you. It is not a rule there okay. now as we speak. The so technical the people, thing, the, the technical, the technical people, the camera people have said to me that you cannot fly a drone around the Jubilee House because it's a security zone. Just, just a second. No, a I am mentioning because okay. it, we are told that that's what was used to capture the well, video. You should, well. talk, you should talk to a, a security person. I'm not speaking about drone. No, I'm you don't careful. get me. Let me let me land the question and then you would understand. <laughs> we have been told you cannot fly a drone in or around the Jubilee House. And yet, these people, 
we're mm -hmm. flying a video to do the the a drone to do the video that they did when they were moving around the jubilee house inside and outside they don't have a chaperone a security person who was moving with them who would have noticed that oh these guys what they are doing could actually be problematic let's stop them from filming further because they've gone beyond their permissions yeah so what, what point you have raised i'm sure it will be part of an internal review mechanisms that is going on to understand how all of this came about but the fact of the matter is what i'm telling you that having access to those things at the place they were is not bad at this point now what other people go there, they hold their phones, and nothing like that has happened. They decided to abuse the access they had. And I'm saying that as a country looking at the bigger picture, we should now be having a substantial conversation about, okay, instead of seeking to sensationalize this and say this and that, we should say that, okay, well, we are calling on Jubilee House security. Please reform this. Make sure that anybody who is coming to the Jubilee House, by the time they cross the security, the first checkpoint at the hospital or at the clinic there, take their phones. We are saying... It has always been the rule. It has always been the rule, Rich. I don't I'm know. I'm telling I, you it's not. No, I'm I am telling you it is. You work in... Your part is in power, so you may be please, able to enter please, Jubilee with please. your phone. No, no, no. I enter Jubilee with my phone collected and a tag given me. Because, and because that happens are, as... What, be, wait, wait, mm -hmm. wait. Because what? On what occasions do you go there? Oh, a number of times. I go there for me... I go there during meet the, the press, press series. Very there well, are times. Very well, there are very times well. I go yes, there. Hold, on, hold mm -hmm. on, let me explain to you. Mm -hmm. It's a protocol and it's subject to the event. Just last time, our party, we had a national council, right? It is not at the Jubilee House, it's not at the party office, it was at a different location. But me, as a national officer, to go into that meeting, I was, my phone was taken away from me and put in an envelope. It's subject to the event. Okay, no problem. So you, if you, what, what, if you are going to admit the press situation or some of the times, uh, situations that you're going to, there is a, a requirement for camera to be there, and those who have the camera are clear to bring their cameras for recording and for other purposes. So if you are screened out not to have it there, it is subject to that event. Okay. But what I am telling you is that when we are looking at the big picture and we want to fix problem rather than sensationalize things that have happened, then we should then focus on what can we do to prevent this so your view is that uh, what is I, I happening now is sensationalism and not oh, reporting on. of what has happened i'm just trying to differentiate between the issues what we should be focused on is the substance and the substance is to say that how do we prevent this would, we've created would, we, would we, we see an apology from jubilee house sorry would there be an apology from jubilee house i i am i am not i'm not jubilee house okay. uh, would anybody be fired I'm, for I'm this saying, for, for this gaff you have to you have to have a conversation with me at the level so I can give you the information I'm able to. You, I hear. I'm only letting you I, understand. Okay, I, I, I will not, I will not drag you into it then. Omar, otherwise mm. you are forcing me to say you are sensationalizing rather than solving the problem. You've already but said that. You have every right that's to say <laughs> what you have said. I also have my right to ask my <laughs> question. But let's leave it here, Richard, because <laughs> there's, there's, there's some breaking news. One of your ministers <laughs> has resigned. I have to tell my, my listeners. But thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, Omar. That's Richard Ahiagba, his director of communications of the New Patriotic Party. The breaking news story is that the Minister for Agriculture and the former member of Parliament has resigned. Dr. Osu Akutefriye presented his letter to President Akufado a while ago at the Jubilee House. That's according to our correspondent at the presidency, Sami Uyafi. He's resigning to focus on his presidential ambition. He wants to lead the NPP into the 2024 election. President Akufado, who accepted the resignation, wished him well and in all wish him well in all his endeavors.
The message that the uh, correspondent is sending to us also says that uh, Dr. Kutu's resignation comes days after Trade Minister Alan Chamati also resigned from the government to focus on his presidential ambition. So that's just some way of breaking news that is coming through. Dr. Efri Akutu, the Minister for Agriculture, has resigned to run as flag bearer of the NPP. Unfortunately, we couldn't bring you the other story on Data Bank, but the news is that Data Bank has resumed its operations. And this was after the bank closed following uh, what it says was threats on its staff by customers who had come there wanting to uh, withdraw their funds. That's how we enter this edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Technical production by Daniel Squashi. Main production by Beverly London, Fred Teti Japano, and Zoe Abubedo Ado. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.